and welcome back to another episode of Lost and Down. We are your host. I am Steve. He is Wally. He is David. Happy Halloween. Yes, we are recording. It might be in November by the time you listen to this. But happy Halloween. I got my Michael Myers background here. Before I toss it over to the boys to see how their weekend was, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order as well as free shipping. Halloween weekend, boys. I stuffed my face with candy. I'm not going to lie. I got so fucking fat this weekend, so I'm not even going to hide it. I'll toss it to you guys. How are we doing? David, Wally, have a great weekend. I'll go first because I know David's going to want to shit on my thing, so I have no problem about that. As do I. I. So I am at a low point in sports. The Penguins have lost a million games in a row, and I should warn you guys at home in case it comes through. It is trick-or-treat. My dog is barking every time someone comes to the door. So be ready of that. She's already sounding like she wants to downstairs. But the Penguins have lost four straight. The Raiders are the Raiders. And what makes it all worse is that I wasn't even that upset with the Raiders result yesterday because naturally I saw it coming. I felt it. David gets it where as soon as they, yeah, I picked the, the Raiders. But as soon as we were about to drive in, I know David knows where it's, Oh, cool. It's one of those games. We're going to just not do anything today. I'm like, no problem. I'm not even stressing about it because I've seen this movie before. So naturally I turn on the NASCAR race. It is the last race before the championship race. And my guy had to either win or place high enough to get in. And with about 20, 30 laps to go, he was in third place, need to be top four. Someone else takes the lead. They're going to go and take the win. So I'm like, all right, no big deal. At least we got this under control. And Ross Chastain goes rookie mode on a video game, and he opens the throttle and just goes 160 miles an hour all the way around the track on the wall like a video game. I'm I'm man enough to admit it. It was cool if you weren't me, but they're rivals. He's a piece of shit. And (laughs) Denny Hamlin is eliminated. So I went to bed yesterday, guys, at 7.15. I kid you not, lights were off, TV was off. As soon as the last 4 o'clock game ended, I said, guys, I'm done. I, I'm not doing it anymore. So you ask how I'm doing. Simply enough, that's where I am. Oh, I have so much to say. Anyways, uh, didn't the Penguins start off hot, though? They, oh, they started hot. off white hot, and then they decided – on their West Coast trip, they're going to get outscored something like 18 to 3 in three nights. So things are going well. All right. So maybe it isn't hockey season yet. Anyways, I don't understand how you watch NASCAR, man. I can't watch people drive Agreed. in a global 500 times. I don't understand. It's not like F1. It's like a whole – it's literally just a circle around it. Like I just can't – it doesn't make sense to me. For the Especially living in Ohio where the drivers are already shitty enough as it is, and then you're just going to sit there and purposely watch people drive. I mean, come on. You cannot sit here and tell me that watching your team suffer is worse than watching NASCAR. NASCAR is the equivalent of paint drying. But remember, too, that I've put into, what, 34, 35 races, whatever it is to this point of the season. So I'm emotionally invested even though I would much rather watch football, football is 10 times the sport NASCAR is. NASCAR is like fifth or sixth on my list of sports. I'm still very invested. And I will say there there are a lot more like strategies and team aspects that go into it if you watch, but 
I'm not going to try to talk you over. It's one of those sports that you either like it or you don't. So I, I can't even like talk you into it. So why are you, so why are you emotionally invested? Was there a gambling? Were you part of a NASCAR pool? Are you, God, please don't answer yes. Are you part of a NASCAR fantasy team? What makes you so emotionally invested into it? So I am a part of a, a NASCAR fantasy team for the That's race. a thing? Well, yes. so the best yes. way to describe it is that you have five drivers you pick each week. And then you have a sixth guy that if like up to like 70% of the race, you can flip in in case there's like an accident. And you're only allowed to pick them like so many times a year. However, that's not the reason I'm invested. So my dad has worked at FedEx for his entire, like my entire life. And Denny Hamlin, FedEx driver before that, it was Jason Leffler. Yeah, I didn't care about NASCAR, but all of a sudden FedEx got a driver. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll get into it. And I fell in love with Denny Hamlin. I love him. And now he even has his own team. So when he retires in two, three years, I'll probably just go to one of his drivers. So I've been long ingratiated into this. It took a while, but I am now a NASCAR hardo. Fair enough. So David, how are you doing? Steven, how are you doing? And then quick question, candy corn, good or bad? Uh, I'll take this candy corn. Yes. Don't, there's no other answer. People who dog candy corn makes me fucking sick. I love candy corn. Oh, boy. Uh, you are on the wrong side of history. Candy corn oh, is boy. ass cheeks. It is butt nah. cheeks. Imagine no, eating it for fun. Chalk. I do eat it for fun. I can't. I can't imagine it. Like that's crazy to me. Like the little the little pumpkin ones too. Oh man, those are fucking gas. Oh man, yeah, candy corn. I don't know why. It's trust me. Well, I, I'd rather I, get a stock of corn for Halloween than <laughs> a fucking candy corn. I, I like popcorn, candy corn, corn on the cob. I'll fucking eat it all. I don't care. It is good. I'm a fat man who just. I have a very strong sweet tooth. So when I get that in that time of the year, oh my god, it's. I don't know why. It's something my mom's liked. My mom loves candy corn, so I obviously got it from her, and I love it. But I'm not putting it over a lot of things, but if there's candy corn in the vicinity, best know I'm taking some. Might as well just walk in a Yankee candle and, and pick up some snacks there. Yeah, like just um, eat wax straight out of the candle next time. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Dude, if you get the if you get the right candle, the wax actually <laughs> tastes pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I know I keep cutting you off, but how, how are you guys doing it? We'll get into that, and then obviously it, we have a pretty quick show for you guys where most of these games are going to be in the – this could have been an email – not to spoil too much. I'm doing good. I was actually in Pittsburgh. This Wally knows this. I was in Pittsburgh this weekend, just a quick trip up to see my grandma. I stopped at, uh, for all you Pittsburgh listeners, I stopped at a place called the commoner. That's a part of the Kempton hotel and their burger. And this is going to sound like such a fucking like tourist thing. And that you think I'm going to not know what I'm talking about. Their burger was top 10 that I've ever had. It's literally just the commoner burger, like top 10, not top five. It rounds out the top 10. But that thing melts in your mouth. And if you live in Pittsburgh, Wally, you need to go try it. You, you've been talking this up for three straight days now. This is I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I like so literally I, I was just I thought we were at just like a, you know, semi nice restaurant. It was going to be solid food, nothing, you know, astronomical. And this burger literally first bite melt in the mouth. I was like, holy shit. Like, where am I? This is nothing like, a, you know, a top burger you you're not sitting in some grease hole expecting like the best burger of your life but you're sitting there like wow that was unbelievable 
Well, you have to run it back. You, it, it always takes two times. Like that's my rule. If it's if it's music, you got to listen to the album three times through before making a judgment. Food or restaurant, if you ever if you ever want to go back to the restaurant or determining the food, you got to have it at least twice. Well, here's the thing too: is now that you have family in the area as well, Stephen. There's going to eventually be one of these days where the three of us are in this city together. And if that happens, watch out. Well, first of all, watch out. But we'll have to make this like a group retreat to go yes. to the commoner. And we got to put this to the test because I can't stress enough. This is three straight days that David's like, dude, you, you got to do this. I'm like, I hey, need David, somebody, I've been drinking. I need somebody to tell me I'm not crazy. Like, I'm going to pressure you until you go and try it once. And then once you do, I'm going to need you to tell me if I'm out of my fucking mind and was like lacking sleep or if it was truly a fucking at least nine out of 10 burger. So where is this in comparison to Cranberry Township, Wally? I still have to Google and figure it out. Like it's downtown Pittsburgh. It's 20 minutes okay. away. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Plus, I mean, this is again, like I was, it was Saturday night and obviously we've been watching college football all day. David tells me, I'm like, all right, man, sounds great. I've been drinking. Remind me tomorrow. And quite literally, it's like the first thing we're talking football. This is a football podcast. It's a Sunday <laughs> morning. And he's just like, yeah, dude, by the way, the commoner, you got to go. And I'm like, oh, cool. We're really on this burger, huh? <laughs> dude, Russell sucks. And holy shit, was this, was this burger just top 10? My God. Yeah, like no, Russell I'm- Wilson looked like an NFL quarterback for the first time all year. And we're talking about the commoner burger. I'm like, holy shit, this must be good. Yeah, well, I, I mean, wanna... I needed something happy when you're talking about, you know, the sadness of of half the games of this week. Oh, you're no kidding. Let's get a little bit of happiness before we dive into this email section here. Something I like, even though I'm a Packers fan, you have you have to respect this. Detroit Lions legend Barry Sanders is going to be honored with a statue outside of Ford Field. A, no shit. And B, it took you long enough to get not only a player out there, the man Barry Sanders. What were your thoughts on Barry Sanders finally getting the statue to honor himself here outside of four field and also over under nine and a half years till Calvin Johnson gets his. Wow. That's a good question. I'll say, I, I want to say under, but it, I didn't realize that Barry Sanders didn't even have a statue until this news came out because he, it's Barry Sanders. Like he's just, he's the best running back. I know that it was very, very early of our football watching tenure, but he was like the first bigger than life player that I remember where we were playing those Madden games with like John Madden on it with like the 64s and like 99, 2000. We're too young to pass the ball. We can't throw in these games. So what did you do? You lined up with Barry Sanders a million times in a row and it's just, and it would work because he'd Barry Sanders in that game. So I'm thrilled for him. Again, I'm almost more surprised than anything. There hasn't been anything yet, but dude, Barry Sanders at his peak, probably his peak was probably the best that we've ever seen in the NFL in terms of running back. If not, it's, it's right there. I don't really have anything to add. I think it's, it's probably long overdue for, for a statue of him at, at Ford field, but it's good to see that they're honoring some of their legends. Yeah. There's so many of them. You ran. <laughs> hey, you there's ran more than guy. you think. Let's be real. There's more than you think. Yeah, okay, well, maybe if, in, in maybe the if Detroit didn't drive them out mid mid into their peak, then we would know if they were legendary. But just like Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, they just want to leave when they're still in their 20s. So we just never see them pan out. Maybe Jared Goff will get one here. 
they'll have Matt Stafford with the Lombardi Trophy as a statue outside of Ford Field. No, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be with the Little Caesars Pizza now because since he's a spokesperson of the main guy in the commercial now or some shit. Oh God! With the AT and T phone in the other hand, you know. God, that was they're bad. Not as bad as how he's been playing. We will get to that. But first, let's get into the segment. This could have been done in an email. All of these games are about to go over. Could have been covered in the email, and we have quite the amount of emails that we want to go through. Let's start it off with the game that we are referencing, or at least the player we were referencing. The Denver Broncos finally get a win, still not in the States, over in London when they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 21 to 17. That sends Jacksonville to what now a five-game losing streak, just in a blink of a vibe when they're just two and one here three weeks in. This game put me right back to sleep. I me and Kylie went to the grocery store. I was making food. We were dicking around. And then I was like, oh, halfway through the second quarter. First of all, this is on ESPN Plus. That's bullshit. But I guess I'll just find some way to stream it. But if I'm going to have any takeaway out of this, it's not going to be from the Denver Broncos. Good job. You finally didn't lose a game where you allowed only 17 points. Travis Etienne is clearly that guy and could be your number one running back in this league. ETM can be a guy on this team. We just need to see Lawrence in that Jaguars offense take that next step, David. Lawrence still hasn't taken that step forwards that I think we are all kind of expecting after, you know, the early signs, the early flashes of greatness in, in the first couple of weeks. I'm hoping that he does. Like, I think it would be fun for the Jaguars, even though I never I never thought Trevor Lawrence was going to succeed in the NFL. But after the first couple of weeks of the season, I got really excited for the Jaguars for a hot minute there. But they're just, they're definitely not the team we thought they were after the first couple of weeks. But Etienne looks like a star. It's about the one positive of the urban era, maybe. And it looks like maybe they were onto something with getting rid of James Robinson. The one thing I want to say is uh, I, I was reading some PFF recaps and – this is like all time funny to me. I'm just going to quote for quote, word for word, read what, what PFF said about Russell Wilson, because it's just, it's hilarious to me. Russell Wilson wasn't electric by any means, but he did put together one of his best games as a member of the Broncos. He went 18 for 30 with 252 yards, a score and an interception. He made two big time throws and a turnover worthy play. One of his best games as a Bronco, and that's a description. I can't – like, I, I like, started chuckling to myself. I was like, they really can't say anything negative about Russell Wilson, can they? No, he's a man. He is Jesus himself. He's Mr. Unlimited, which is not something I can unfortunately say for the Las Vegas Raiders offense. It was very limited on Sunday. They went to New Orleans, and they did not cross midfield until – and let me say this really loud and clear – until three and a half minutes left in the game. The team isn't good. I'm done. I, I got nothing else to say. <laughs> I mean, Carr with 101 yards, one interceptions. Like you said, the Raiders could have moved it all day. Devontae with one reception for three yards. Just to kind of give you an idea of what Wally had to deal with a little bit before he tuned out to NASCAR. Punt, punt, turnover on downs, interception, punt, punt, punt and sprinkled in with two of those drives ending because of the respected halves. End of the game and end of the end of the first half. I'm, I'm sorry, Wally. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. That sounded watch- better than I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, Wally. I didn't watch this game at all. But literally looking at the box score, and I'm, I hate being the box score guy, but just looking at the box score, it looked like the Raiders couldn't move the ball at all. Like you could see it in the numbers. 
And in fact, the only thing I really saw, and thank God I have him in fantasy, is that Kamara really shined. But, you know, just from a box score perspective, the Saints also didn't really do anything that impressed me much. It was they didn't have to. Right. It was basically Kamara versus, you know, a poor Raiders defense, and that was it. I mean, the offensive line got eaten alive. That's all I'll say. Kamara looks great. The Raiders defense is still a sieve. The Atlanta Falcons win in overtime, though, in a surprisingly competitive game where it's a damn shame I wanted Carolina to win at the end because if they did, we would have had a four-way tie at three and five in the NFC South. What a disaster. It was a stupid rule. I, I get that. Possibly poorly applied, according to Tony Dungy in the NBC crew. But you got to feel bad for Eddie Pinero. Brutal ending of the game. What are you guys' takeaway from this? Well, not only did Eddie Pinero miss the the game-winning extra point, he missed a field goal in overtime as well. You you just can't have that. Shout out to my Chicago Bears fans. I know you guys have been in that spot before, but I like what this offense has kind of looked like. I've been second-guessing why they're letting P.J. Walker ride. Dude had over 300 passing yards, including an insane Hail Mary to what we thought was to tie the game, but to win the game inevitably with the extra, extra point. Yeah, we all know how that went. Deontay Foreman with 26 touches, with 118 yards and three touchdowns. DJ Moore had a crazy game. My biggest takeaway here is I had a prop parlay with PJ Walker involved with over half a touchdown. I eventually thought it was done, scrapped it, made another parlay of what my remaining touchdown scores would have been. Ends up, PJ Walker nails that. Both of them are alive. Kenneth Walker scores a touchdown to hit both of the prop parlays that I had in there. So that saved me from going down 200 to up 440. Shout out to my boy, PJ Walker. Stay hot. This game was a shocking game of the week for me. Uh, I thought it was going to be terrible, but, you know, it turned into probably one of, if not the game of the week in terms of entertainment value. But uh, DJ Moore owes his kicker a Rolex and his team a giant apology. That's amateur hour at its finest, and it quite literally cost them the game. On the flip side, this Carolina team looks completely different with a semi-functional quarterback, and that alone confirms to me that the Baker Mayfield era is broke, is over because he's broken. So, you know, that's a sad day for me. Brutal day. Ten times scoring drives in a row, back and forth. Nobody saw that coming with those offenses. The Bears yeah. off. Oh, go ahead there, Steve. First, my bad. first place matchup that ended up being, and after the game that we speak here, the second highest game or the second highest score in a week eight game. Especially when we've been riding on the divisional unders, this really screwed the pooch. I'll take it, baby, because I enjoyed this. The Chicago Bears go to Jerry World, get walloped 49-29 to 29 as the Cowboys just ease into victory here. You know, I will give Chicago some credit here. At one point, they did narrow the gap from 28-7 to 7 to 28-23. to 23. So I like what they did, and then here comes Micah Parsons. Here comes the rest of that offense. Golly, Michael Parsons, you're an animal, returns a fumble for a touchdown, which is a wild play because it looks like he could have been touched, but the Bears defender ends up, or offensive player, ends up jumping over him, not touching him. Michael Parsons up, able to scoop and score. Holy Cowboys, they're the best team in that division right now, I think, is hot. I will give Philly, but I don't know. I, I'm starting to kind of turn a little bit towards Dallas. There's something in the air. I don't like what this team is doing, and they're they're getting really hot. While Philly's not really having complete games, where Dallas, the last couple, they've been somewhat complete, even though the one against Detroit was pretty ugly. But give props to Chicago. 29-plus points offensively the last two games. 
they obviously have got something right with Justin Fields and how they're running that offense. So kind of hang your hat on that, even though I'm not a guy for more victories during a 20 point loss. Yeah. I mean, the, the Cowboys look great. Um, Dak continues to shake off the rust and and they're only going to get better. I think, especially if that defense can stay healthy, but um, from a bears perspective, Fields looks competent when, when the bears scheme him outside the pocket. The problem is, is he's still atrocious in the pocket, but you know, if he can get functional rolling out and running and being a dual threat quarterback, maybe he can actually grow with the bears and and we don't have to listen to Wally tell me that he needs to go to another team to, to be successful, but he had no turnover worthy place according to PFF. So that's a step forward in the right direction for him, but I'm hoping to see more and more and more of the bears scheme him in a way that actually benefits him. I'll start with the Cowboys quickly. The defense is elite. It, and now that you have an offense that is even mirroring a little bit and Zeke is not what he used to be by any stretch. They need to make him that second guy. If he has eight to 10 touches a game, he can have a, be a great complimentary piece to Tony Pollard. The problem is, is Tony Pollard is the better back right now. And there's no question. You saw what he could do against a bears defense. That's looked a lot better now to the Bears side though. If you take out that there's two failed two point conversions with the bears, this is two straight weeks. They put up, 30-plus points against a very good defense in the NFL. With the trades like Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn and acquiring more assets, it's giving you a little hope finally that they are going to be able to put the pieces around fields before they break him. I'm officially think I'm ready to – I'll look like an idiot if I'm wrong, but I think I'm ready to plant my flag and say Justin Fields is going to be a a decent quarterback in the league. He just has to get – the, the talent, and I I'm, think I'm ready to firmly gl- put myself on that side of the, the debate. I, I really do think that he could be the guy that we look back in two or three years and say the 2021 quarterback class might be Justin Fields, which was not something we thought was possible even a few months ago. Now, well, you have the draft picks. Let's also not forget that they are more than doubling the amount of cap space and they're the number one of the end I want to say they're like on 130 plus and like the next team underneath is at like 60, maybe 50, something like that. So they, if, if they can get, if that front office can get it right, I don't think trading want, I don't think trading away Roquan's kind of in that right direction of getting right, but they're going to have a lot of pieces here or they can have a lot of pieces because they have a lot of money. Got to spend money to make money. You have the money to spend. Only part that sucks is the free agent class doesn't look great right now, but having 130 plus million dollars, there's never a bad time for that. The free agent class, even if it's not great, right? If you have that much cap in the short term, you can take on the Brock Osweiler deal. You can take on, I'll let you shed your cap space for a second round pick. I'll take that cap space. Kenny Galladay. Because if you can, if you, well, yeah, actually, yeah. If you can shed that space, like if you can share that space and you can collect assets that you can then draft on rookie deals until you're off that cap and you can pay those rookies, you're using your cap wisely if you're not, you know, if there aren't free agents out there to sign. They should go and re-sign uh, or go trade for Allen Robinson. <laughs> that was good, by the way. But they are a team next year. That might be in the flip of what they were this year. They might be the buyer that can take on a big cap, even if it is a Christian McCaffrey kind of deal where it's 
hey, maybe this isn't a position we want to pay long-term, but we have the money right now. We might as well take a swing. Dolphins, 31. Lions, 27. I know we poked fun at the Lions earlier with the Barry Sanders stuff, but guys, at what point are we going to have anything good to talk about in Detroit? It's week after week. I mean, 27 points in the first half. There was no first half points from either or punts from either team. And then Detroit just doesn't score in the second half and they lose by four. What can you even say at this point? I don't know. I Detroit, their offense looks good enough to compete for the most part. And the second half was bad. It looked like their last two weeks of football on offense, but I just don't like when this offense is good, they're phenomenal. And then you just, their defense continues to fry them. The defense, you score 27 points in the first half. You should be winning a game. Even if only you score once in the second half, you should be able to win a game. It's the defense for me. I kind of, I still kind of get excited for Detroit. I just don't trust them. Like I can't, you know, I can't bet on them. I can't or bet on them with confidence. I just, I don't trust them, but they're, they're a defense away from being a fun, a really fun team. But on the flip side of the football, Tua had a monster day on offense, 382 yards, three touchdowns. According to PFF, he had multiple big time throws, no turnover worthy plays. That's beyond game manager, which is what I think I came to the season, assuming he was going to be. Me too. And I I think if he's playing that well, the Dolphins are a playoff team and and they have the weapons on offense to be a team you don't really want to face in the playoffs. Steven was right. Hey, it's it's too early. It's too early for me to pat myself on the back. I can see the grin, though. (laughs) <laughs> you got I'm happy hell yeah I'm happy because everyone laughed at me when I said that I think Miami now I don't think they're as explosive as I was anticipating but let's talk again in a couple of weeks when Tua can finally get consistent games you know and hopefully not die on the field here but I said it last week and I'm gonna say it again and David's already kind of helping me with it you can't tell me Tua isn't the guy for this offense because they have it and to the point about how Detroit should have scored in the second half. Absolutely. You're playing Miami's defense. It's not like they're a top five defense. If anything, they're going to be a bottom five to bottom seven defense. So for you to make those second half adjustments for Miami's coaches, that's great for you because what Detroit has been able to do offensively is amazing, but man, they, they're just bad, but Jalen Waddle to a combining for over 300 yards, Jalen Waddle with two touchdowns. Great day to have him on fantasy. And Tyree Kill is just that every time you're looking up, my God, I think it's time where, and I know a lot of us talked about how, how great Tyreek is. We're putting him up with Pat Mahomes. It's Tyreek. It's not, oh, is it Mahomes that's giving it? Tyreek, those, some of these catches this dude is making, double covered, just facing bigger guys. And he's just going up and grabbing the ball. He did it two or three or four different times on Sunday against Detroit. This dude is amazing. We need to talk to talk about him. Like he is a top three overall receiver. Doesn't matter if it's speed, if he's a deep threat, if he's just a route runner, he can do it all. He's got great hands. He can cause separation. He can burn you. He can juke you. He can break your ankles. This dude is absolutely amazing. Tyreek is on pace for over 2000 yards and Jalen Waddles on pace for over 1700. I understand there's 17 games now. But that is a dynamic duo like we have not seen in some time in this league. The New England Patriots go up to MetLife where they beat the New York Jets 27-22, to and you can thank Zach Wilson for that. The Jets outgained New England 387-288 to on a y- average yards per play, 6.7 to 3.8. 
But giving the Patriots three extra possessions here is never going to end well. Even if it's Mac Jones, not looking like the same guy he was that we were expected about last year. But man, and also on that, New York had a pick six here that got negated by roughing the passer penalty. That was really kind of the deciding factor in this game, even though that was a pretty early on call. But you can tell like the, the energy of it completely taken away from New York. But man, Billy B gets it done against his Jets, who it's what, 13 times in a row now, something like that? It is 13 times. And it's frustrating if you're a Jets fan because this year went from feeling so special a few weeks ago but then the Elijah Vera Tucker injury, the Brees Hall injury, and now you have to look yourself in the mirror and realize Zach Wilson is not the guy. That 2021 quarterback class went from being something that we were lauding like all offseason that year to now it's kind of a joke. No one is performing in that class. And again, the fact that guys like Justin Fields now is making his way up to have a chance to be the best of the 2021 class tells you where that class is at this stage. It's not good. I, if I'm the Jets, I'm playing Mike White or Joe Flacco and at least trying to play playoff football because what is the point of trotting Zach Wilson out every single week when you know that shit ain't going to work? And I'd argue the same thing with Bailey Zoppe. I know they're the same quarterback, but at least you have seen what you have in Mac Jones. You might as well throw Bailey Zoppe out there. You're not playing for a Super Bowl this year. You might as well see if there's anything worth saving. I'm with you. Zach Wilson remains not the guy, uh, but just good enough to make the Jets fun and competitive, just not as fun as they could be. But Bill Belichick continues to own the Jets, you know, no matter what. And it's it's one of the, the tales as old as time. But speaking of teams that got walloped, the Philadelphia uh, Eagles beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 35 to 13, which is I didn't see coming with the Steelers defense, but the fun thing I took away from this game is Philadelphia finally did it, which is they showed me they could score in all four quarters consistently and remain an elite team throughout the game. And I've been saying it all season. The minute they could do that for me, they would become my instant favorite for the NFC for the Super Bowl. So with that, they're my favorite for the NFC. I think it would be really, really fun to see them go up against the Bills in the Super Bowl. I think that would be an electric matchup. Um, but as much as I hate, as much as I hate the fan base, this team is fun, but as for the Steelers fan base is in for a rude awakening going forward, because that QB carousel has just begun folks. Well, now reality starting to sink in that Mike Tom is about to have his first losing season as an NFL head coach. Yeah. TJ Watt should be back soon, but holy shit, AJ Brown and Jalen hurts. First time since Next Gen's been tracking all of these insane stats. So they're only back from 2018, but first time in the Next Gen stat era that one player has scored three touchdowns on just simple go routes in one game. In one game. Jalen Hurts was dropping dimes. AJ Brown was pointing at people. One, two, was it a third touchdown? He called out my, uh, Minka and whoever, whatever quarterback was on him. It was the exact same play every time, and it worked. They are looking dangerous. Jalen Hurts is the queer MVP favorite of the NFL right now. Actually had to go back and really rewatch the highlights of this because I watched it first and it was like, yeah. They all look like the same play. They, they all look like the same play. And the funny part about that was it was the same problems with the Steelers on each. Minka was late on each pass. And I think it was Greg Rosenthal that I heard that from at first. And that was kind of alarming to me because Minka is kind of the way 
with outside of TJ Watt, he's the way this defense goes. When he is playing well, the Steelers are a really good team. When he's not, that goes on both sides of the ball. All of a sudden, the defense is on the field a lot. The offense can't get a rhythm. They're averaging a league low 15 points per game this year. I get Mitch was there for a few games. Kenny Pickett's there now, too. And he is supposed to be the most pro-ready quarterback of that last class. He is Joe Burrow's age. It has to click, and it has to click quickly. I mean, I think the Steelers are lost. Whether that's a Matt Canada problem, whether that is a Kenny Pickett problem, whether that is that locker room problem, it's not good. That's all I got. It's not good. Thank God for the Eagles, though. Fly, Eagles, fly. They look great. I'm actually kind of even thinking about rooting for them against the Astros in the World Series. But I think it's more of I just want both teams to lose, personally. Seems a little biased, but all right. I don't know. Maybe a little. Tennessee, 17, Houston, 10. I'll keep this short. Derrick Henry's a Hall of Famer. Yet again, we you know when you, you point out those stats to 200-yard stats and stuff like that, you almost expect it to not happen that time? That's where you know a guy's a Hall of Famer, that everybody on earth knows that he's going to run the ball, and you still can't stop it, which – that was a problem enough. And then you look at the Texans until that garbage time touchdown drive to end the game. They had 71 total yards. I thought I was miserable with the Raiders offense on Sunday. This is next level bad. Yeah. The AFC South is a shit show. Um, you know, this is to your point, this is Derek Henry's what fourth consecutive game against the Texans with 200 plus yards and two plus touchdowns. That's that's bonkers, and it could only happen in the AFC South. All of yep. these stupid records and streaks and whatever can only happen in the AFC South, and I'll never – I week by week I say it over and over, I will never understand this division. But, I, you know, at, on the flip side – I don't understand, like to have 200 plus yards and two plus TDs out of your out of your running back and to only score 17 points against an awful team is also kind of bad. If we're being totally honest, Malik Willis wasn't good. Sit what 10, 10 complete passes. I think he rushed for five and drop back. So they're not going to count that. He went six of 10 for 55 yards in the interception. But to Wally's point, to both of your point, really, you guys sit there and you're like, Oh, you guys are giving me this stat. It's getting jinxed. It's not happening. I watched that game because Derrick Henry, I had a Derrick Henry two touchdown in a prop parlay. This is just a singular one. Okay, first rush, two yards. Second rush, 41 yards. You're like, yep, there we are. This is a fucking lock. Let's look at the other games to make sure Saquon and Kenneth Walker are scoring here because Derrick Henry, he might score four touchdowns. I think it's just under – it's like 900-plus yards. And what, nine, seven or eight touchdowns over that four game span? I don't get it. And you know what? I can't wait for them to play Jacksonville because he has, that dude has to have similar numbers when facing Jacksonville. Everyone remembers where they were when they found out who Derrick Henry really was when he had that great year and he broke out. And he had like 600 yards or something against Jacksonville in the two games. And he had the 99 yard touchdown. Yep. I remember where I was. I was getting a little bit drunk. Thursday night against Jacksonville, all of a sudden, boom, this guy just goes right up the sideline, stiff arm and shoulder and looking for contact. Doesn't matter. You can bring in, you can bring in Michael Myers himself. Ain't no one stopping that man. Fun thing. And then we'll move on to the next game. I had to point out Malik Willis. He threw the ball. Jim here. Let's take a guess. How many times did Malik Willis throw the ball in the second half yesterday? 
Um, two. Three. One time, and it was a throwaway. That is Mike Vrabel's wet dream. And if this team can get Ryan Tannehill back and they can even throw the ball halfway decently, I've got to give them credit. I thought this team was dead in the water, and they're starting to really string together a, a, a couple wins here, and the defense looks better too. couple teams dead in the water, Wally. The Washington football team, I'm sticking with that Washington football team go to Indy where we thought we we're going to have a Carson Wentz reunion game. Psych. It's the backup bowl here. Even though Taylor Heineke has really been an NFL starter. This would have been a lot sweeter if Carson Wentz came and led this game winning drive, but the hometown kid, Terry McLaurin comes up with one of the clutchest catches I've ever seen only for Taylor Heineke to run it in for a one yard touchdown to win. They Washington has now won back-to-back games. That division's rough. I don't see them coming out or really doing anything, but can Taylor Heineke kind of spark something in this Washington team still waiting for their superstar Chase Young to get back here on the field? But maybe they start they're starting to click here a little bit on offense. This game's a joke. This game is such a joke. I was sweating a little bit. I gotta be honest, I was sweating a little bit with Washington plus three when the Colts went up early. And I was like, this is how the Colts ruined my life. But turns out they still stink with Ellinger. Overall, I, I overall I didn't think he was that bad. Actually, I didn't. I, he was better he than wasn't. I anticipated he were, would be. I mean, to be honest, he kind of looked like Matt Ryan out there. If we're being totally honest with ourselves, like it was no, it was no different. It was not a guy who's going to turn it over a boatload. It wasn't a guy who's going to go out of his way to make plays. It was just being there, and and it actually appeared like the Colts got a little bit of a run game going for a short period of time, and then didn't. It's time to fire right and see what the coordinators can do to push this team forward the rest of the way because this team needs a regime change really badly. Herbert has more rushing yards than Jonathan Taylor right now, I'm pretty sure. That's embarrassing. I mean, it was a pathetic choke job. I hate firing coaches mid-year. But, David, I think you might be on to something because this isn't a division that's out of reach. And this is a roster that you still feel like is really talented. It is so disappointing where this team's at right now but this the coaching the lack of of courage in this game if you're going to play Ellinger you have to still run an offense fourth and goal at the two and you kick a field goal and then you end the game effectively fourth and inches and I mean inches on your own 35 I get I get that that it would take balls to go for on your own 35 but if you quarterback sneak it any team in America should be able to sneak it for six inches. And if that happens, we're talking about an above 500 Colts team today because they get to kneel the ball. Instead, we're talking about a commander's team who all of a sudden looks like they're a playoff team. And there might just be four NFC East teams that come out of it right now. That is how uh, crazy the records are in the NFC East. Well, you're, you're right. It's, it's, amateur hour to to not go for it in that moment because you've got a guard that you can literally send Ellinger behind and it's a young quarterback he's gonna he's hungry he's gonna push forward to to not go for it on fourth and inches is telling the entire offense you don't trust them that you have no faith at all in them getting six inches on the ground and and that that alone should get you fired because you built this team you have no faith in this team now you you should just you're gone like just go because anybody with a brain would have gone for it 
And anybody, I, I truly believe that probably 25 of the head coaches out there would have this Colts team at a winning record. Maybe not a, a, a good one, but at a winning record. When you're the head coach, you know, your team kind of personifies who you are. Frank Reich's a pussy. And this looks like a bunch of pussies right now. I'm just going to say it. Wow. I kind of like that take a lot. I really do. They kind of do look like a team that's not playing focused or motivated at the least to say that. And I mean, Quentin Nelson's one of the best guards in, in all of the NFL. So I'm with you, David, you line up, you go behind that guy, all pro guard. It's the only thing that makes sense. I don't get it. Even if you put Quentin Nelson at center, have him snap the ball and let him go head first into a D lineman. I'm telling you, you're getting that six inches. Like I don't, I don't like it's to Steven's point. It's, it's pussy football. Uh, Frank Reich needs to go. If they fired him tomorrow, I really do think the team comes out fired up next week too. I don't even know if yeah. my head who they play. And it always happens. We're seeing it in Carolina right now, right? Especially with those. And it's, it's wild. Cause I can't, can't tell you. I'd really have to sit there and think, When's the last time you've seen a team so bonded with their head coach making a run last year, and then all of a sudden now it's a complete 180 to what it was last year, and it's just like, dude, I can't get behind you and do this again because I just I'm seeing right through you, Frank Reich. I don't want to rub salt in the wound, but let's transition to do another it. team that has not lived up to expectations this year, and that's the Green Bay Packers. They're now three and five. Uh, now, and, and the worst part, too, is they're a game back of Washington with the tiebreaker for the last wild card spot, and they lost. So the, it's an, even like an extra half game that they're behind. This has got to be like threat level midnight. The panic level has to be high. It's figured out now or the season's dead. Credit to the Bills. They're deadly at home. The Chiefs are not going to want any part of Buffalo in the last week of January. So it just puts added pressure down the stretch. But Let's go to David first. David, what were your thoughts? And then, Steven, wrap us up with your, your Green Bay Packers. I'm fucking pissed that Green Bay scored to cover. Like, I I went to bed, honestly, yeah. thinking that, you know, I was going to win both sides of the bat. The Bills beat up on the, the Packers. But, no, I wake up to find that Green Bay covered. Anyways, the Bills continue to roll, man. I They are good even when Josh Allen plays two interception football. And that, and they're demolishing teams while doing it. I, I said it earlier, but I would absolutely love to see this Bills team against Philadelphia in the Super Bowl because it would be fucking electric. It would be so much fun to watch because both of them on both teams have amazing players inside the trenches. Both teams have amazing skill positions. Both teams have good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, however you want to look at it, dual threat quarterbacks and truly dual threat quarterbacks. And I just, it would be so much fun to watch. It probably won't happen that way, but that's what I'm rooting for. I have a feeling for some reason, San Francisco is going to come and ruin a lot of people's uh, days on, you know, in January, but we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get there. Honestly, I, I don't think I cheered a single time in this game. Even the um, awesome Romeo dubs touchdown catch. I was like, Oh sick. That was a good catch. Like that rookie really needs that. But Green Bay was down, basically only had four wide receivers that they were playing. And I knew that Green Bay wasn't going to win, nor did I really think they, they were going to cover, even let alone by the hook. But things, a couple of things that pissed me off. Two interceptions of Josh Allen. 
what do you do after the first interception? You turn around on the first play and give it right back to the defense with the interception yourself, Aaron Rodgers. The second one, yes, you went and scored that touchdown to Torre. I don't even know who the guy is. I'm not even going to try Nebraska, to baby. There you go. Samir Torre, something like that. Samari, that let's go. That's why I said it's my accent. The th- this is what I'm pleased about. They gave Aaron Jones the ball. Holy shit, the dude had 20 touches out of the backfield. Oh, my God, it was glorious. And not only that, they were giving him the ball down 14. Down 14. They gave him the ball. He only went for 20 touches, 143 yards. That's all. That is my biggest takeaway is, you know what? We didn't come close. We fixed a couple plays here and there. We don't turn that ball over. We end up scoring a touchdown on that possession. It's a field goal game in theory. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and play butterfly effect director. But in theory, that's what you have. I like what they keep giving Aaron Jones the ball. If this is what's going to make you realize that, holy shit, this actually somewhat kept us from not being blown out and a little bit in this game for most of it because it was 24-7 at halftime. So Green Bay went on a 10-3 run quote-unquote, here in the second half, which I can get behind, just give Aaron Jones the ball. And I think if we, to your point, Wally, last week, if we take the Philadelphia Eagles approach to it this year, I think Green Bay can really make a run and be in that final wild card spot. Now we're going to have to look what their schedule is. The easiest of their schedule is behind them because they lost all three of their easy games, mind-blowing, and almost lost the fourth to New England. I think that they can be in a good spot. Other takeaway before we talk, before we wrap it up here, Aaron Rodgers seen laughing and joking around on the bench with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. Last time they saw him do that, he was getting blown out week one, and he was doing it with uh, MVS and and Devonte Adams here week one last week or last year, and we know how that turned out. Is that some relevance? Is it connected? I don't know. I'm not ready to, to spell out relax or anything. I don't think Green Bay is really going to make a push, but. I like the trend that they were giving Aaron Jones the ball, and I hope it continues over the last half of the season. It happened this time of year last year for Philadelphia, so it, at least you feel like the blueprint's out there now. Exact. God. Just And this is going to come out before the free agency, but if Brian Gutekunst does not trade for a wide receiver, tell me why this dude should not be fired. I'm not, even, I'm, not, I'm not even speaking biased about why he should be fired because you know how I feel about him. But, dude, what have your draft picks done the last three years? You've had a couple studs, but overall, what have they done? Got to get one. Get somebody. I'm with you. With that, that's going to wrap us up, but this could have been done in the email. A little bit longer of an email than we wanted it. Email nonetheless. Let's get into our week eight recap of some games that stuck out. We have a lot of good talking points we want to get over. Before we toss it to the boys for the recap, we want you to know that this week eight recap is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop marketing agency specializing in high-end photography, branding, fashion, and more, especially if you're all of our age where it feels like every single weekend you have a baby shower, wedding, college graduation, high school graduation, you name it, it's happening. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or on Saw Down and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. The week eight started with the Thursday night football game. This might be the first Thursday night football game we're talking about. The Baltimore Ravens come out on top 27-22 in Tampa Bay. Well, Lamar was looking all right, pretty decent. But wield this team to victory. Tom Brady not looking so great as the Bucs continue to struggle rushing the ball for 44 yards on 15 attempts. That's 2.9 average, just for your quick math, people. And Baltimore go on to score 24 second half points here. 
and put away the shaky Buccaneers. Tom Brady now two games under 500 for the first time in his career. So, David, I will toss it to you. Tampa Bay, three and five. This is bad. What are your thoughts on this game, or what are your thoughts on this team as a, as a whole? Uh, it's time to hit the panic button on Tampa Bay. I, I, so, I guess to start, their defense is injured and injured badly. They were down – last week they were down – or maybe it was this week. I don't remember, but they were down four of their top six DBs. Yep. Now you lose Shaq Barrett, who's your best pass rusher. The defense is what keeps them alive in these games where the offense looks like they're struggling. But Tom's down bad, man. The Bucks' offense is struggling badly. It continues to struggle. It continues to look slow. And I'm starting to think it's a combination of a bunch of things. It's a combination of their O-line being not what it was before injury. It's a combination of Arians moving up the ladder and not being the head coach anymore to me. And it's a combination of Tom Brady going through personal struggles because that is not the same player that played last year. And I realize the guy's 45 years old and, and might be in a decline, but I also don't believe that talent-wise, he's in a decline. I just feel like his head may not be in it the way it's been in it for the last 25 years. This team is just... It just isn't the same as last year, and their next five matchups aren't easy by any means, which is why I say you got to hit the panic button because if something doesn't change, they are – I mean, they're not making the playoffs, and and this is a team that's wildly too talented for that to happen. But on the flip side, as far as the Ravens go, it's the second week in a row where they've shown they aren't the second-half choke artists we all thought they were. Uh, one interesting tidbit that will kind of lead to a hot take for me is – uh Isaiah likely caught six passes on seven targets for 77 yards and a touchdown. And he also had a 91.9 run blocking grade on 13 run snap. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just throwing this out there. It makes me wonder he's the tight end for all of you listening. who have no idea who the hell he is. It makes me wonder if Mark Andrews is Jimmy Graham esque and this offense is scheme based and Mark Andrews isn't truly an elite tight end. And I'm just going to throw that out there as a hot take. I think it's hot because, yeah. first of all, well, like Mark Andrews, credit to him. He's he's shown it before, but I think going off of – you have, I think we can all agree that the Ravens coaching staff is a very good coaching staff. Oh, yeah. The rumors, the stuff coming out about Likely has been glowing since the draft. They, they are in love with this guy. They think that he's – like to your point, David, it's not he's not just a pass catcher, he is a blocker too. He is a true bona fide tight end. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they start going to more 12 personnel and start getting a little bit more of those two tight end packages out there because he looked good, he looked damn good, and that was a very impressive catch in the back of the end zone. But let's let's get back to Tom Brady in the box for a second because the injuries, you're right a bad offensive line. Brady is 45 and he had a few ground balls in this game that made you a little nervous. I do think that there's still plenty of talent there. That pass to Mike Evans when they're down 11 late in that game, which for the record, the under not hitting in this game is such a joke. Anybody out there <laughs> like me, who, they had like 17 total points, 40 minutes into the game. Like, yep. and then all of a sudden everybody's going to walk up and down the field as soon as I need you to stop scoring, but that's fine. Personal problems like what Tom is going through. I have no idea. I think none of us can speak to it 
the idea of going through such a public divorce in this stage of your career, it's got to be weighing on him some kind of hard. I, I, we know that Tom Brady's hyper-focused on football, but you got to imagine that quite a bit of it is gone now. And I mean, one of my favorite, everybody knows the quote, it's the Dark Knight Rises two-faced line, the you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And this is kind of feeling like the football equivalent where you want to retire from football and not have football retire you. And I'm really, really scared because Tom Brady, if there's ever been somebody that deserves to go out riding his horse into the sunset, it's him. And it doesn't feel like he's even going to get any anything close to that. It feels like the Peyton Manning final year. But yeah. the only problem is, they might not make the playoffs because the New Orleans Saints or the Atlanta Falcons or hell, even the Carolina Panthers could win the NFC South. That's a disaster. It has to be the personal issues because this team is loaded. Like I'm surprised you guys haven't even harped on that. This the offense is loaded. Yeah, I know Julio Jones. It A isn't the same player he is, and B can barely stay on the field. But you got Julio Jones for half the season. You got Mike Evans. You got Chris Godwin. You got these tight ends. Like Cameron Bray was playing solid. They got what Kada, and that's that's been getting a lot of touches. You got Leonard Fournette in the background of that. Uh, Rashard White. There's Rashard White. But do you Rashard. like the interior offense? That's what scares me. Is the line? That's what it is. And it's. But we've seen Tom hasn't had an amazing O line his entire career. Let's be real. But he's been able to make it work. It's just something that isn't clicking in. I don't want to go all the way and say as far as that it's father's time, but you are definitely getting to your point, Wally, those Peyton Manning comparisons. He's not throwing the ducks like Peyton Manning was, but man, he just like, he still has the flashes of Tom Brady. He just simply isn't there. And he's, and he's letting his frustrations be known and seen publicly. And it's bad. I think it's, we also have to mix in Todd Bowles with this. Let's not let's not make it seem that Tom Todd Bowles was this amazing head coach when he was with the New York Jets because we've seen similar fall off to when he's with the Jets. He just has a way more talented, talently loaded roster than he did up in New York. But maybe Todd Bowles just really isn't that guy. Maybe he's giving Tom Brady too much the reins of the offense coming from Bruce Arians, who gave him basically the whole offense. And Bruce Arians never took credit for anything because he just sat back, smoked a cigar, and then won a championship, apparently, according to him. But on the other side, I like what Baltimore's doing. They, they've been sticking around. In the last month of Lamar Jackson hasn't been great, considering that he was going to be a really, really high MVP favorite with the numbers that he was putting up the first four or five weeks here in the NFL season came back to earth, but now they're really starting to churn it up because they're, they're going to be without Rashawn Bateman for a few weeks. Who broke his foot. Mark Andrews shoulder who ended up leaving early. That's why Isaiah likely had a nice game. That's not expected to be serious. He's expected to be back. Oh, watch out for Deshaun Jackson. Once they get him, it's going to turn up, but look at these next few games. You have new Orleans, Carolina, Jacksonville, Denver pit with two T's over the next month or five weeks here that we have. All of a sudden, this could be a 9-4, and 10-3 and three team, and we're going to be looking at them completely different. I think a game like this, and where a lot of the public, yes, was going with betting on Baltimore, but I feel like the people who actually enjoy football were betting way against Baltimore because they think that Lamar, this offense just simply isn't it. You can't keep J.K. Dobbins on the field. Kenyon Drake can only do so much. Gus Edwards isn't always going to have those games. Mark Andrews out. You can't throw to Rashad Bateman. You're really going to – rely on Demarcus Robinson as being that guy. They're really starting to kind of answer these 
not as one guy checking the box, but almost as the whole team checking the box. You trade for Roquan Smith, who's only going to make that defense better. An automatic superstar you out of there. They might be churning up here, and they're quietly – they're the only team leading the division this quiet, as, as I should say. Now, I know we have a game tonight that can kind of change some things, but they're first team in the NFC North right now. The Atlanta Falcons are getting talked more than the Baltimore Ravens. That might just be us. The Roquan Smith ad, I, I'm interested in, I want to hear your guys' talk or, or take on this because last year we saw Vaughn Miller at the deadline go to L.A., and he was a major catalyst to help winning a, a Super Bowl. I know that that's the expectation in Baltimore, maybe not for the rest of the NFL, but if they add a guy like this, even with the steep price, that's a guy that can really change that defense considering the fact that it's the past defense that they've been really struggling with and he's really good in coverage and he's a very quick linebacker. I, I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Do you, like, did they pay too much? Do you think that this is a great move? Where are you at? Cause I'm kind of I, every five minutes I'm, I'm going back and forth. Well, you know what Baltimore can do. And I know David knows better than both of us combined. You know what Baltimore can do with linebackers in that defense and how they can get them going. You're going to add him with Patrick Queen. I mean, that's scary. You're going to, your secondary, your secondary is creeping up. Every week, it's just kind of creeping up, almost like what I'm not com- comparing them to the Chiefs, but kind of like what the Chiefs defense was doing last year. They were really bad, but then they kind of hit their stride to your point, kind of comparing it to the, to the LA Rams. But maybe this is the guy that can, help them hit their strike because they have those defensive players in key spots. Maybe this one kind of puts them over the hill here. Look, nothing is more synonymous with my misery as a Cleveland Browns fan than the Ravens and Steelers having elite defenses. So, you know, ignoring that point alone, I think they did pay a little too much for a linebacker. Understand that they found value in the position before, but from an analytics perspective, you're – you're giving what is it a two and a five for a yeah. guy that you now have to pay on top of what you're going to pay Lamar Jackson this offseason? God knows. I don't know what their cap situation looks like. I don't know who else they have to pay. I have to imagine. Did Mark Andrews get paid this past offseason? Two ago, I think. Was it two? He got extended. I think, head, uh, I think heading into last year, he got okay. it. I want to say. So, so, all right. So maybe you don't have to worry about that. But I just, you know. Who paying a paying a running back, first of all, giving up assets and then paying a running back or a linebacker from an analytics perspective is the worst. It, it's like committing murder on your as a GM. So I, you know, I don't I don't think it was smart, but you know, I'm sure that Roquan Smith's gonna have 18 tackles and three interceptions against the Browns later this year and make me look like an idiot. But I just I, I don't know. I, I it's too much, but you know, it also fits the Ravens identity. To answer your question, it is $49 million expected cap space. So it'll be interesting because you know that Lamar is going to be eating 35, 40 million of that. And then Roquan's basically it. So there's not really much more room to go out and get better. So they better hope that this is the core that they want to move forward with. But let's go back to the NFC here where the Arizona Cardinals Lose in Minnesota, 34 to 26. I love this note Stephen added here. Kyler Murray, analytics, detailed analytics. He drops to 0-1 with the new Call of Duty out. So that's important to remember. Minnesota is now in the driver's seat in NFC North. It feels like a Grand Canyon between them and Green Bay and Chicago right now. 
it would take some kind of a collapse. Second place in the NFC. I, I'm glad that you put this here, Stephen. You asked us on here, is it time to start taking Minnesota seriously? And that's interesting because they're not a great team. But in a year as weird as this one, where all we can ask for is to win the games that are on your schedule, the NF- NFC is not a gauntlet. I mean, realistically, outside of the Philadelphia Eagles, is it Dallas and San Francisco that we're going to say are Super Bowl threats? Because there's not a lot. I mean, that's a lot less scary than the top of the AFC at the very least. I mean, you get the second seed, you look out. Minnesota is a very tough place to play. If you make teams come up there, who knows? Maybe it is time to start taking them seriously. David, we'll go to you first on this one and wrap around with Steven. Where are you going to go with this one? I appreciate it. I got you. (laughs) You're a mess. Minnesota, are we impressed? Or is this just a factor that Arizona continues to disappoint? Both. But before I get into that, just some, some fat guy talk right here. Minnesota's tackles looked amazing in this game. And Christian Derrissaw, I think, is already a top left tackle in the NFL. I think a lot of people agree. But, I, you know, if you guys watch them, let me know what you think. But I think once Minnesota fixes their interior line, they are arguably one of the most well-rounded offenses in the NFL. But I don't think they're – they're not a Super Bowl threat to me this year. And it's solely because of how weak their defense is. I don't trust their defense – as far as I could throw their heaviest defensive lineman. I just, I, I don't think they're a, I don't think they're a real contender. I think they make the playoffs. They probably win the division. They probably get overhyped going into the playoffs. And then they probably get slaughtered in their first game of the NFC playoffs, in my opinion, depending on, I mean, depending on who they fight. I, I won't say it's a for sure thing, but if they're coming in playing at any of these real NFC teams, they're, they're going to get it handed to them. On the flip side, the Cardinals are just underwhelming to me. Kyler Murray's underwhelming to me. He's good enough to remain a positive contributor, but he's not good enough. He's not worth his contract in my eyes. He's not good enough to be the guy that's going to go out and win you a Super Bowl if you put a just good enough team around him. He played well outside of two interceptions, but like two interceptions could could have very well been the deciding factor in the whole game, right? So I just, who knows? Maybe it was a deciding factor. I just, something... There's something about Kyler Murray that continues to underwhelm me given the star power that he he uh, takes up in the media. Well, and he's going to get Cliff Kingsbury fired. You know, we saw the outburst here on last Thursday. We there, there's, there's just something that isn't clicking with this team. And the first one to go is always going to be the head coach because you're married to this guy now with this contract and the amount of money that you're paying him. But Arizona, there's, there's really nothing to say about Arizona. They start their games off slow. I think this is what this is week eight. I don't think they've had a bye week. So six of the eight games that they've started, they lose in the first quarter. So it doesn't matter if it's three points, four points, seven points, six points, whatever. You're starting in the hole. You play three quarters. You usually play about two and a half, three quarters. Really great. But this is the NFL. You cannot get that going. And yes, DeAndre Hopkins looks awesome. He doesn't look like he's missed a step step at all. But I'll get to my question about Arizona after my after kind of answering Wally's, I think it's time to take Minnesota serious. And the reason is because Minnesota, five different 
player scored a touchdown here on Sunday. Kirk Cousins with a rush touchdown. I think it was KJ Osborne, one of their tight ends, and Dalvin Cook, Alexander Matson as well. So they have they have a two-headed running monster. To your point, David, interior line does need a little bit of work, but when you have running backs like that that can get outside of the tackles and make your life hell, that's gonna make it easier. Steph Stefan Diggs. Justin Jefferson, just an absolute beast. Hopefully, Adam Thielen can stay healthy, that old ass little dude. But I like what this team is doing. Kirk Cousins isn't doing anything astronomically great, but he's not turning the ball over. He's getting the ball into receivers' hands, and they're able to make plays here. So I like what they're doing. But also to David's point, I feel like I'm stealing a lot from him. Their Achilles heel is their defense. What looked amazing in week one, which I feel like I've been talking about week after week, they look great, but they just haven't been able to get it done. They showed up when the time was needed. It's a Darius Smith having a very nice game here. But you know what? They held Kyler to 4-11 four, four on third down. They had three turnovers there. So they did enough in this game that ended up in a one possession where I definitely think the interceptions by Kyler Murray were the deciding factor in this eight-point loss that the Cardinals had. I think they're real. They're going to keep running. I'm going to pat myself on the back for this one, not taking the tool yet. I'm taking the Vikings winning the NFC North, patting that one on my back because I saw that one from a mile away. No, I just wanted to share a, a fascinating stat, and it all came back to me. I forgot about it. I didn't put it on the rundown, but because, David, you brought up Christian Derisaw, and I am so happy you did because the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles are 13-1 and combined so far this year. What do they share in common? And I heard this on Moving the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Fascinating. What do they share in common? Both are the only teams in the NFL that all five starters on their offensive line are homegrown and drafted from the organization they are playing for. It is, I love it. It shows such an organizational desire and need and understanding of how important the trenches are because Philadelphia does it on both sides of the ball for their sake too. But being so hell bent on having a good offensive line, I was so happy you brought up because you're right. Those tackles in Minnesota, they look good. I know the guys on the inside, they don't look great, but you have, I want to say a couple day three guys in there. So it is, I I love that you brought that up. It's very fascinating to me that these homegrown offensive lines are doing so well. Sorry to cut you off, Steven. Go back ahead. You're good. So I know I already kind of covered what we had with Minnesota, but I have this kind of interesting question for you guys. Now, Seattle, Rams, San Fran, Chargers, New England, those are the five games for the next five weeks for the Arizona Cardinals. Can we see them flip the script? Or can you see them flipping the script of what we've kind of grown accustomed to of seeing them over the last couple of years where they start off hot and die off in the second half of the season? Can we see that kind of flipped here this year? Maybe they can start making noise here a little bit late in the season. I'm just I'm just trying to latch on to someone who's getting hot because the teams are so much fun to watch. Also, don't forget, next week, we got Hard Knocks going to start premiering. And if Arizona gets hot here, it's going to be a positive Hard Knocks curse. I'm just saying. They're, they're my Atlanta now. I hate them, and I think they suck. So, no, I don't think they turn it around, to answer your question. I don't think they do either. And in their next five games, I I see maybe two wins, and there could be a third. Depends on which Chargers team decides to show up. But, like, they very could, they very well could be, you know, five and eight going into week 14 and that's just not a team they're not making the playoffs it's just that next five weeks gauntlet they're not making the playoffs 
there's a real chance they don't win one game in the next five, let alone. Yeah, it's it's if the Rams decide to show up, the Chargers decide to show up. I mean, like if Seattle gets a stop on defense all game, I, it's there's a lot of things that don't go that that could very well not go in Arizona's way, and they end up three and ten through that stretch. That would be awesome. And put a bookmark in that Seattle defense comment because we're coming back to that here in a couple minutes. But before we do, San Francisco, in George Kittle's words, and thank God we're not the only one saying it, got to win in Levi South. And by that, technically, they played at SoFi <laughs> this weekend. The 49ers own the Rams. It is crazy that they lost that playoff game last year because it felt like the only time that they've beaten them over the last five years. I want to start with something crazy, or at least not crazy. It might be a hot take. As you said, David, I might be doing my own version here. But CMC, he was one of 11 players in NFL history now with a rushing, passing, and receiving touchdown in the same game. But we love to talk about how the Shanahan's in their imprint on the league now for 30-some-odd years, we see their offenses can be special with anybody at running back. It's how good their system is, which – makes it so much more crazy to see CMC. I am finding myself liking it more and more when at first I wasn't sure about it because I'm starting to think Kyle Shanahan might have found his Terrell Davis. And what we saw in Denver in the late 90s is that as soon as Elway and as soon as that offense got a running back like Terrell Davis, it unlocked everything else. We saw how much better Jimmy Garoppolo played in this game statistically nothing crazy but you could feel the difference in this offense I really do think that there's something to this where maybe just maybe the 49ers might be going on a very special run who knows some may call it super fellas Uh, look CMC (laughs) hitting the triple crown is in his first real game with the 49ers is unbelievable Guy's a superstar. He's going to continue being elite and show it with Shanahan. However, as high as I may be on him, uh, again, as an analytics guy, giving the amount of draft capital they gave up for a running back, no matter how elite he is, even if he's an all pro with them, I, I knowing that they gave up what three first rounders for Trey Lance two years Something ago. Like that, yeah. I just like you're, you're giving up draft capital for guys that aren't changing your franchise and the outcome of it, in my opinion. You get injuries on defense. Is CMC overcoming that? No. He's not affecting the offense in a way that's going to overcome bad things happening. So so as an analyst guy, I just can't can't get behind the draft schedule side. But I still think with the 49ers, they live and die by the hands of Jimmy G or Trey Lance if he were playing. I I, I just like I can't imagine susceptible myself to that. As as a Browns fan, I can't imagine susceptible myself to that come playoff time knowing that your entire, like literally the outcome of your game is depending on if Jimmy G plays game manager football or looks like shit. I was there once and I can't, I can't imagine being there again as a fan, but on the flip side, I can't, I have nothing else to say about 49ers. So Dude, the Rams, the Rams are so bad. What? They're, they're horrible. They're so bad. The Rams. I, so here's the funny thing. The Rams played in a way that actually made me question what was really wrong with the organization. Ramsey was locked down. He's he's back to being locked down. He allowed two catches, 18 yards, forced two incompletions. 
defense as a whole was actually pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And even the Rams offensive line, which honestly most people blame for the woes on offense this year, they allowed six pressures on 37 pass blocking attempts. So they played very well for how bad everyone thinks they are. I don't know. It makes me wonder if it's a Stafford decline, if it's a Stafford issue, or maybe if it's one of McVay's off years, which we can now, again, clearly document going back and looking at everything that goes on. That his teams are either, it's it's been two elite years, Super Bowl years, two very good years with Goff or Stafford, or two very good Goff years, I should say, and then two very bad years, one with Goff, one with Stafford. They look exactly the same. It just makes me wonder if it and, – and Goff looks good with the Lions every now and again. I, it just makes me – it really makes me wonder if it's a McVay, if it's a coaching issue, a scheme issue, a strategy issue. Does everything get scale, get stale, and then you don't adjust your playbook and shit until after that shitty season? Like what – What's going on there? Is it really a Stafford decline, or am I looking at maybe a coach that gets stale pretty quickly and then has to adjust in the offseason? It's a Super Bowl hangover in a nutshell, right? Like, all their offenses is Cooper Cup, and he just rolled his ankle, which is he's considered day to day. It's not going to be serious. But if this, if Cooper Cup goes out, I don't even know. I don't even want to know what this offense is going to look like. But I mean, the O line's getting better. They are definitely one one of the units that you're looking at overall with, with this LA Rams team, because their defense is just casually allowing the third fewest yards in the NFL right now. The next few weeks are really going to determine how they're going to play. You have Tampa that should win Arizona. We all know how they've been playing new Orleans sketchy, but then you end with Kansas city and Seattle, those last two weeks heading into the back half or the, the second half of November, they really need to get their head out of their ass. Cause it is far up there. They're just so dead. bad. They're dead in the water. I, it's not going to be fixed this year. This feels irreparable. And the fact that you almost felt desperation, they were down 17 in that last minute when Cooper cup gets hurt. What are we doing? What are we having him out there? I'll give him credit for at least saying that it was the wrong decision after, but and then that, following I mean, it up with, he should have ran the ball. It's like, no dude, he should have just fucking been out of the game. I don't care what play you called. Yes. Like, I I'm just, uh, they, it's it was stupid. It was greedy. It it makes no sense. That was annoying. I think that the Rams are done. They're dead to me. But the last thing, and then we'll, I'm ready to move on with, with this, guys. If you're Philadelphia and you are the number one seed in that last week of January, who is the team you least want to see on the other side of the the football field? And I think that the 49ers, the way they're built could be it. I don't think you want at all if you're Philadelphia to go against that defense and get yourself into that ugly low scoring game that Kyle Shanahan's going to want. I think that if I'm Philadelphia, it's anybody but San Fran right now. And I get it that Jimmy G is still that quarterback and you're going to live and die by that. But yeah, four incompletions yesterday for 235 with two touchdowns. And yes, obviously CMC was just a game breaker yesterday. It kind of, to your point, while he unlocks what maybe this Terrell Davis S for this generation, Shanahan, they did this all without Debo Samuel yesterday. That is my big takeaway. So hear me out. It's not no. San Francisco I'm afraid of. 
It's the Dallas Cowboys. They need to be a rematch of last year's playoff game with those two. It's the division rivalry, and let's say they beat them twice in the regular season. Do you know how hard it is to beat a team a third time, especially in the playoffs? I That's the team, and I don't know how it would happen, but that's the team that I would be most afraid to play because they know me. And depending on how bad this the second matchup is, depending on if it's a blowout, blowout or whatever, their defense knows me and studied me twice this season. And I that's the team I would be most afraid of playing because I think the Eagles could go pound for pound in the run game with San Francisco, and it might be low scoring, but I'll take the Philadelphia trenches over San Francisco any day of the week. I will say at least if you do play a Dallas Cowboy team in the NFC title game, that means that Dallas is finally getting over their own demons in the playoffs, and you don't want to play a Dallas team that feels storybook, kind of like Philly had their own five years ago where it felt like you don't want to play this team. It's just it's their year. It's starting to kind of have a weird feeling like that where it's Dallas. Maybe it is their year. But last game of the week, the Giants in Seattle can't believe that this is the game we were most excited for. It was a fun game for most. Uh, it didn't end as close as we would have liked to have seen, but Seattle scored the final 14 points to get the win over the Giants. Gino looked good, 212 yards, two touchdowns, nine different wide receivers with a catch. The Giants fumbling a muff punt late kind of really solidified the end of this game. Does this game make you think any differently about either of these teams? Or is this kind of more status quo for you? I think you got to throw some respect on Seattle because the New York teams, let alone the Giants, have been getting a lot of hype. And it feels like they're almost the same team. I think offensively they're going to be more explosive yardage-wise, but it's not like they're able to kind of spread the ball a little bit in Seattle. They have to, by necessity, they're in New York. I like the running backs that they have here. They're just a gritty team. And and this is my hot take of the episode. These, this Seahawks team might be more fun to watch than the LOB teams right now. Let's just go. Because, Let's just go. Because you're expecting the LOB teams to just be dominant. This team, you're just like, oh, this is like the, the guy you have on the football team growing up who never really was that good. But holy shit, you don't want that. You want to go to war with this dude because he'll outwork you. He will grind. He will make it happen. He'll make plays. That's what this whole Seattle team is. In a nutshell, Tyler Lockett summed it up perfectly. It's amazing what we can accomplish when no one gets when no one cares about who gets the credit. He even said after this on Twitter that wasn't directed at Russell Wilson. And quote, he said that about five or ten times throughout his playing career. First of all, why would you say that during your playing career with the team that you've had? You've had so many egotistical people that obviously want the credit Russell Wilson being the the leader of that train right there you know that it was directed at Russ we all know it was directed don't backstep lean into it own it but Tyler Lockett he had the redemption touchdown after dropping an easy one just a few minutes prior and I first off I hope that Richie James recovers everything is good he's healthy second off thank you so much for fumbling that ball because that led to kenneth walker scoring the touchdown helping me cast both of my parlays and my god it was religious because i said i think the commentator said yep and here's richie james and last time he had a punt he fumbled it i said cool fumble it again two seconds later fumbles it two plays later i said kenneth walker look at the left side of this field it is wide open you should go just run right here boom bounce it out to the left but huge shout out to DK Metcalf 
if you guys haven't seen the video on that run, DK fakes running a fade to attract the cornerback who, if you really look at the play, could have turned around and made the tackle to make Kenneth Walker short. DK, you are my man. Uh, I'm not going to Venmo you any money or owe you anything because you make like 17 times the amount of money I'll make in my lifetime. This Seahawks team is fun, but don't take it away. I still like root for this Giants team. I think they're going to be fun, grinding it out all the rest of the season. But, man, there's something special brewing. That's a Starbucks joke to Seattle. In Seattle, and who would have thought that these would have been the two only winning teams facing off against each other this year? Drink the neon green Kool-Aid with me, Stephen. I I'm can here. feel it. Sipping. Pinky up, Wally. Oh, that we don't got football teams in 2022. The only one I care about is the Seattle Seahawks. We gotta get you a jerk. We gotta get you a Sean Alexander throwback Seahawks jersey. No way. I want I want a Geno Smith one. I want the guy that that stirs the drink. Lime green. The lime greens Look, too. Seahawks in sole possession of the NFC West at five and three, led by Wally's boy toy, Geno Smith. That is something that even the best of analysts never saw coming. Seattle didn't see this shit coming. And yeah, and and Geno Smith had four big time throws in an 80 plus PFF passing grade and remains a giant portion of the reason why the Seahawks are so good this year. And between Geno, Kenneth Walker, DK, and Lockett, the Seattle Seahawks offense is actually very dangerous. Um, And if they can build up their defense again, this team. It'll be really fun. Additionally, the Seahawks, the Seahawks surprisingly shut down the Giants with their defense. They did it by stopping the run. One, I didn't think Seattle had a defense, so this is this was shocking to me. But two, I didn't think the Giants would be, you know, would be shut down in the run so easily by Seattle. Barkley had 20 carries for 53 yards. And as it always does when that happens, it exposed and put a spotlight on how bad Daniel Jones is as a quarterback. And, you know, the Giants, they'd be a completely different team with a better quarterback, dare I say, a Geno Smith. And I just, it, it's going to be hard for me. I want to put respect on the Giants because they were 6-1 and one to this point. They dominated run games in, in all of their wins. But, like, it's going to be hard for me to bet on them or trust them going forwards again knowing that they couldn't establish the run against a bottom of the league defense. And that gives me trust issues with the giants. Well, here's the thing. And this is what I've been sitting on. And I'm, I'm like grinning ear to ear to the people at home that are just listening. I'm like, I went from six to 12 so fast, just hearing every, I mean, this is unbelievable, but this is the thing. The Seattle defense in the last month have started making huge strides. They've only allowed 37 total offensive points in their last three games. Not only do you shut down Saquon, they allow 225 yards. And I know that this is kind of a humble pat myself in the back here, but the thing going into this week that I was so excited about with the Seattle minus three was that I truly thought it was going to be one of those games that both were going to run at will and you were going to make the quarterback win. That part didn't happen. But what happened is when the running backs were taken away, it turned into the quarterback game. And Geno Smith, to your point, David, is better than Daniel Jones right now. And, I mean, keep talking about playoffs. If Seattle keeps finding a way, if they found a way to win the NFC West with how crazy we know that stadium is, it could be a really special 
game or two. Who knows? Maybe they get a win in the postseason. It'd be kind of crazy. But, hey, we're, we're going to wrap up here because it is 8-11, which means your Cleveland Browns are just on the other side of this episode here. Guys, 10-20-second preview. What do you guys think? Are you sticking with your picks from this last weekend? Where are you at? I got why. Well, I know I stuck with the Browns plus three and a half. I'm sticking. The past 10 Halloweens, the underdogs are 12, four and one against the spread. Save my ass by the hook, baby. I also want to say that Joe Burrow's like 0-12 on like uh, some prime time. I, I gotta look that up because that just simply can't be. Yeah, right. I was gonna say that sounds then they beat then they beat the bank, then they beat the dolphins earlier this yeah. year. Yeah, maybe it's, it's like it's, a spread thing. Yeah, maybe maybe it is something like that. But until I see Joey B beat the Browns, I have Cleveland still owning him. Brownies, here we go, brownies. Here we go. Look, oh. that little stat you saw. Might have been accurate, might have been not, but what it was was a sign from God to tell you you're wrong and that the Bengals are going to win. They're going to win by 10 plus. I am I am confident that unless a miracle happens in the Browns defense this week, whoever plays wide receiver for the Bengals is going to fry our secondary. Doesn't matter who it is. It could be Wally playing receiver. I'm confident Joe Burrow is going to throw for 300-plus yards. I'm confident he's going to have three passing touchdowns. I'm confident he's going to throw zero interceptions. He's going to get his first win against Cleveland. I am so – this is like the easiest game of the week for me. I'm not even – if the Browns keep it close, God forbid they win, I will have to change my pants because it'll be an exciting game for me. Like even if they keep it within ten, I'll be happy. I, they're going to get Wall- slaughtered. Don't knock Wally about lining up as a receiver. I've lined up against him. He's broken my ankles a couple of times. That dude's little. He looks like he's like Devonte Adams in their little jump step, and then he cuts inside. To all the people at home that know me from my Walsh Jesuit days, they understand that I'm actually a quarterback. I'm not a wide receiver. So maybe in like special packages. Well, yeah. Like I mean, it is. I mean, I'm just, I'm a mobile quarterback. That's all it is too. A turquoise 100 runs deep, but Logan Wilson being back, Trey Hendrickson being back really surprised me. They brought him back early because of that. I'm going to take the Bengals to get their first win in Cleveland since 2017 against the Owen 16 Browns. And that's all I got for you guys. That's going to bring us to another end of an episode of loss of down. Shout out to our sponsors, tabbies.com. Make sure you just promo code football for 20% off that order as well as free shipping and Abby Turner photo.com. The one-stop marketing agency for high-end photography, fashion, and more. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at loss of down and Twitter down underscore loss. I know we kind of wrapped up what are, what our main talking points were to get out of here, but do you gentlemen have anything to add before we let these listeners go? I hate Cleveland. NASCAR is a sport. It is not. It is literally everyone can drive a car. It won't. I, I'll give you this. It's not a sport until February. Uh, it's a sport when you are rooting for the Penguins and Raiders. That's so fair. That hurt, but it's so <laughs> true. Get fucking Michael Myers. Get Mike Myers. It's Friday the 13th, but I like it. I know. I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> That's my pit acronym for you. <laughs> Halloween, gotta love it. I can hear the two T's in there too when you do that. <laughs> I hate you.